Hello and welcome back to the Think Business podcast powered by Bank of Ireland. Many businesses in Ireland have had to pivot to stay alive. One business that's not only pivoted but is also helping the environment is Cork-based Rasher, headed by Tom Cotter, which went from making sportswear to essential face masks from plastic bottles that litter many of the world's oceans. Well, well congratulations on the business. I mean, uh, I know you had to pivot in the in face of everything, but it sounds like a very interesting business before all this, and I'm sure it will be after all this. Hopefully, yeah. It, do you know what? It's been it's been a long, well, long. I think long is probably um, is the wrong term, but it, you know, when you start these things, people have the. I think maybe just our generation have this uh, concept of overnight success. So. In that scheme of things, it's taken longer than I thought. But in the overall scheme of things, it's probably happened quite quickly. So, you know, it's uh, it's just a bit of a learning curve, I suppose, as you as you, as you as you go along. So, yeah, we've done. We're, do you know what? We're we're very fortunate. I put it that way. There's there's a, we had a quarterly meeting at the end of March. We had you know nothing was off the table. We discussed about leaving leaving um, leaving people off the next week. We started doing face masks, and we've had our best month. We had our best month ever, so it was uh, definitely a, a welcome change to what could have been. Tell me about the business before you you pivoted to the face masks, because uh, you were making products for luxury brands, I suppose luxury luxury experiences, I suppose the people yeah. who would have been surfing, sailing, you name it. How, how did you get into that business? Yeah, so I my background is I've always been kind of into water. So that's, you know, I've done, I've kind of grown up in, in Crosshaven, um, in, in Cork, and, you know, you're, you're right on the water there. So we've always been, whether it was kayaking, sailing, surfing, you know, you name it, we've, we've been involved in it. So I, when I finished school, went off to do, I kind of stuffed up my leaving cert. And uh, went off and did a course in Kinsale called Outdoor Recreation. Um, so it was basically Monday we did kayaking, Tuesday was rock climbing, Wednesday was uh, windsurfing, sailing on Thursday, and something else. I think there was a tiny bit of tiny bit of uh, classroom work on a Friday, but a tiny bit. And uh, so that kind of took me on my travels. And I, I did a two-year uh, spell down in Kinsale, and from there I went and did kayaking tour company around the Greek islands and then went off to Australia and I ran a very, I kind of got my business. I suppose it was a, it was, it was work experience, but I, I ended up running this um, very um, busy sailing center in the heart of Melbourne. There's a place, there's a a lake there that the Grand Prix goes around Albert Park Lake. We We were situated right there and they put through the biggest number of kids in sailing in I'd say in the Southern Hemisphere, but certainly in Australia, I was very fortunate to have a board and a manager, uh, a manager, I suppose, that was sitting, that was on the board that kind of mentored me quite a bit. And they kind of, you know, we, we basically took the company from losing a lot of money to, to, to making a, a profit the first year I was there. And we kind of, we, we managed to double that the year, year on year for four years when we were, me and my wife now were in, uh, were in Melbourne. And when I came back, sorry, I know this is a long story, but like when, when I came back, there was still, we were coming out of the recession. So there was very little that you could do. You know, it was either go and become a, a sailing instructor for, you know, two months of the year in, you know, in a yacht club somewhere or, you know, do kayaking for the summer months with tourists. There really wasn't that level of management that I could really go and earn a proper wage. So, and I'd always wanted to do my own thing. 
even though I, I'd worked for people, I was very much always my own boss. And when I came back, me and my buddies, we two of which, uh, like two co-founders basically, who've, who've now got onto other things, but they, they were there in the early days and they had previous experiences of starting their own companies. One was, um, was Dog Day Media, which would be based in Cork. They work with they did videos for Ed Sheeran. It's a multimedia company. Do Google and things like that. And then the other is a guy called John Downey who does uh, restaurants. So he did a ramen, which is based in Cork, was one of his uh, startups. You know, we've grown up following brands. You know, we, we've grown up following brands our whole lives, and we all were involved in in, in water sports. And the one product that connects all water sports users is a is a is a product called a rash vest. So. We said, why don't we start this? You know, why don't we start this company that puts the rash fest at the heart of the of the company that nobody else is actually paying any attention to? You'd usually pick one up for kind of twenty or thirty quid, and it was a secondary product. And uh, we said, like, let's go with that. And we had some early traction. You know, we ended up selling. We sell a lot online. We sold to stores in San Francisco, we sell, uh, Australia and the UK, Ireland, but nothing really that would ever sustain a company going forward. So it just happened that at that time, and I'd love to say we take credit for it, but at that time, there was companies were reaching out to us saying, we love your sustainability story. So everything that we always did was was using sustainable fabric. Mm. And uh, we actually didn't realize that we, you know, there was a lot of big companies like Adidas and O'Neill's and things like that that were that were uh, that were doing it, but there was very few small companies. And obviously, if you approached a big company, they don't really have much interest in talking to you. But if you approach a small company and you wave a couple of quid in front of them, then they'll probably do some stuff for you. So we we one of the the first deals that we got was with Australia Sailing, and it was it wasn't due to any of the my connections, but they basically saw it from being shared on social media, and they turned around and said, "Listen, guys, we have an event coming up." And we'd love to use your sustainable fabric because we're promoting sustainability at the event. Mm. And we'd love to create a range with, with our branding on it. We'll include your brand. So it's a co-branding exercise. You know, could you do that? And we were like, um, no, it's not really what we do. And they said, well, we'll pay you full whack. And we want, we want 800 of them. And I was like, well, <laughs> well fair enough. We'll do it. <laughs> so... We, that was initially the, the early days. So we've done teams and events and uh, a lot in the water sports sector. And then as the company developed, we, we started getting requests for you know, everything from rash vests, then t-shirts, then shorts, then jackets. Then So we now have about 150 to 200 different products. We've kitted out anything from basketball teams to, to sailors to, to full club gear and then last year we ended up getting contacted by a lot of um, or not a, there was there was uh, was we they weren't getting contacted they weren't contacting us but one of the through my pipeline I heard that um, Richard Branson's uh, Necker Island was uh, was unhappy with their current supplier hmm. and which was a, it's a, it's a I won't name them but they were a very reputable uh, like you know household name and like an Adidas type of of brand and. Uh, they weren't happy with them and we went in for the tender and we got it. And it was the first kind of real deal that brought the company up to a different level. You know, we were able to hire two new people. We were, we were, we're still only a team of six, but it, you know, it really started to find its, uh, its direction. 
from there, then we said, okay, if they're interested, then maybe there's a number of others that would be interested. And we started to kind of knock on doors. And luckily for us, there was a number of kind of, I call it luxury hospitality that were really interested in promoting sustainability, wanted to have their designs on the products. And uh, and there was very little looking back. And it's kind of, that was only, that was probably only, I'm going to say June last year. So in the la- in the last 12 to 12 to 18 months, we've really kind of come on leaps and bounds. And uh, yeah, it's fantastic. It's a good journey to be on. And I suppose the uh, ecological side of it, how did you go about ensuring that, uh, you know, designing, but getting the materials? One of the interesting things about the face masks that you, you're making and, you know, the fact that two euro for every mask sold goes to the Irish Lung Fibrosis Society uh, or Association. Yeah. Um, but the actual materials in, the, in those masks comes from ocean plastic or bottles in the ocean. How, how did you go about kind of getting gathering this material and getting it made? So, yeah, okay. So, like, the first thing that I'll straight away put my hands up and, and say, and I'd say it to anybody, is we joined the supply chain at, uh, at the yarn development stage. So, you know, we're, we're, um, we're not the ones, we do beach cleans, but we're not the ones that are collecting, you know, commercial amounts of waste and, uh, and, 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 and treating it and, and everything. So basically what happens is there's four picking locations or collection points in various oceans around the world. Majority of them are between here and, and the Mediterranean. And there'll be a lot of commercial deals done with fishermen as well as these, as these collection um, uh, points. From there, the, the waste is gathered. It's sent off to a treatment center where it's broken down and made into, it's, it's shredded into like flakes of plastic. Those plastic, that plastic gets melted down and it basically turns into like, it looks like the same, uh, they're pellets. They're similar to, um, to horse feed for like a luminous blue. From there, then you, you basically buy those and then you send them off to a yarn uh, factory and it gets spun into a yarn. And then from there, we'd buy yarn and basically spin it into various uh, densities of fabrics. So we, we have about, I think we have about six different fabrics now for different types. So they, you know, you can obviously get a lot of different uses out of different fabrics. One fabric that we use for, say, rash vests, we can also use for making leggings. We have one that we use for, for cycling gear and, and for cycling jerseys and things like that. We were just, we, we had just seen like an initial uh, downturn. Like we were basically coming into a zero quarter, we thought. And uh, we said, you know, like, let's go and see what the, what the criteria is for making a face mask. You know, so there's very little, little literature that's online that actually shares uh, information on how to create a reusable mask. There's one set out by, I can send these to you. There's one done by um, a company called Afner. They're basically a French company. They had written a set of guidelines that was, been, um, that was getting handed out from a CE marking uh, company in the, in the UK. And they said, you know, if you're not using them for medical reasons, then just uh, th- th- these standards are the ones that we advise. Mm-hmm. So we said, okay, the density of the fabric or the grammage of the, or the weight of the fabric is, is the same as ours. And, uh, you know, let's pivot into this, into this mental time of the last three months. But anyway, um, we're here now. 
And like uh, one of the things I was reading about was endorsed by a scuba diving association in America. And that development even got Instagrammed by Leonardo DiCaprio, of all people. Um, But the actual business now, selling these masks, roughly around 20, how much do they cost? Are they 20 euros? About 20 20 euros, yeah, for a mask. Yeah. And two euros of that goes down to the Irish Lung uh, Fibrosis Association. And, and, and that's the thing. I mean, do you see this now being a permanent aspect of your business? We don't know if this is the new normal, if like 10 weeks, 10 months, 10 years from now, wearing a mask will be de rigueur in society. <laughs> Who knows how this will change life? Uh, are you positioned for that to take kind of, you know, whether it's for the long term or short term? And, and I mean, does normal mean for you going back to, to making rash vests or do you see this as kind of being a more permanent aspect of your business? Yeah. So like I say, two things in there. Rash vests have probably become 1% of my business anyway. So it's, 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 it's definitely dealing, you know, the majority of our company now is dealing with people like the Four Seasons. There's a company out there called Six Senses. If you've ever seen these, like, you know, the, it's depressing, actually. It sounds great, but when you're sat in a, an office in Carrigaline and you're looking at these photographs, these absolute luxury hospital, like luxury resorts that are in the most amazing locations, it can get fairly depressing. Um, so if you're ever looking at the, uh, the, these lovely huts that are sit on the water, say, in, 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 in Bora Bora or the Maldives, there are customers that they basically order you know, anything from polo shirts to rash vests. And, and, mm. and we try to, and tr- we try to um, cater for them as much as possible. So we're locked, like, it's amazing, you know, going into this, I genuinely thought that we were in an untouchable niche. We deal with people that have more, like they are the wealthiest people in the world. And I thought nothing would be able to shake that mm. industry and how wrong we were. You know, it's, uh, it's, it's been hit harder than anywhere else. You know, the majority of the places that we, we sell to could be 10 to 20,000 euro a night to stay there. Uh, Necker Island is 350,000 a week to stay there. Oh. So uh, if, uh, yeah, you know, we thought it was untouchable and how wrong we were. But in, in relation to doing the masks, it's, it's very strange. You know, there's pockets around the world that have really adapted to wearing masks. California being one, you know, they, they came out and said it's law to, you know, you need to wear a face mask outside. Um, Italy, I have friends in Italy at the moment and they're saying, you know, you're looked at with like real discontent if you're, if you're not wearing a mask in public. And in Ireland, we've just, we, we, I, I don't think we've really decided where, we've, where we fall on the mask thing yet. So, so a lot of what we're doing is actually exported. So that diving company, Paddy, is, 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 our, is our biggest, one of our biggest clients anyway. And they're selling those masks, you know, they're selling them in, 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 the, in the tens of thousands to people in the, in the US. The guys in the UK, they, they have a department in the UK and we're selling it to the UK and they're seeing people as well, but uh, nothing, nothing compared to certain parts of the world. So the world, I think, I don't know, I, people are getting kind of um, snippets of the world reopening. So I think today for me, just even driving into work, it's, uh, it's probably the busiest I've seen it in months. And we're starting to get small nibbles of orders for our normal business. So it's certainly starting, it's starting to go back. Now, 
whether it will take three months or six months or nine months, who knows? But if we can, if we can just keep the lights on, basically, and uh, and hopefully do something that we feel is 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 good for the for the public at the same time, then uh, then we will. And I suppose the final question, would be like uh, as a business person, I suppose what's the biggest lesson you learned from this time? I mean, obviously, one was obviously clear, clear from that last answer that you just can't assume anything <laughs> anymore. Really can't. The yeah, the biggest, the biggest, um, the biggest lesson I think is is that like that's number one. Um, there's an opportunity everywhere. You know, it's um, I, I feel incredibly privileged to work with a group of people who have um, who have continued to kind of work really hard when they were at home. And I think, yeah, the world is never going to go back to, uh, to, to, to being the same. And we were even looking, you know, before this happened at, you know, ex- expanding our office. Now we're looking at, looking at it and saying, do we need an office at all? So the amount of work that you can actually achieve, you know, working at your own home or working, you know, remotely is, 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 is brilliant. You know, there's no need for us all to sit in a boardroom with, with 20 people chatting at each other. You know, you can do it. You can do it so easily. So, um, yeah, the remote working has been eye-opening, really has been eye-opening. Well, Tom, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. It was really great. And uh, best of luck with everything. Yeah, you too. Thank you very much for, uh, for, for doing the piece. <laughs>